of songs written by, about love, lots of poems written about love. You know, God's created us to express love and to receive love. And that way, we have all these songs that people sing. And I think of, what was it, like 1980, Johnny Lee, looking for love in all the wrong places. And how often is that true? Looking for love in all the wrong places. But you know, the reality is, there is a right place to look for love. And this morning, our text is going to reveal that to us. If you're taking notes this morning, the topic, or excuse me, the title of the sermon is Divine Love. Now you think about love. All these different poems, all these different songs, many are full of heartache, full of trouble and triumphs. Because everybody's seeking after something in a different source. But the true source, the divine source, is God. If you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We haven't been there in a few weeks. So I'll refresh your memory. We're still the eve of the crucifixion of Christ. We're all that night. Jesus is now walking with his disciples. He's talking with them. He has just begun a metaphor about the vine, him being the true vine. Now, just so you remember, Judas has already left the picture. Jesus has gone off to betray Christ. But Jesus is still with the eleven. He's telling them that he is the vine. They are the branches. And he teaches them that the Father is the vine dresser. Now that background is really important. So I need you to imagine that in your mind right now. A vine. Jesus, he's the vine. That you as the believer, you are the branches. And that the Father is the vine dresser. What takes care of the vine? That imagery will run all the way through what we're about to read this morning. So in John chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 9 through 17 this morning. I'll read, starting in verse 9, we read, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, John chapter 15, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whenever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. May God bless this reading of his word. Now, if you've been with us through this Gospel of John, this seems like a theme that we've hit over and over again. Which makes it easy for me, I'll just preach the last sermon. Now, Jesus is still teaching something very profound here, even though you're going to see a very consistent theme rolling through all of this. This morning, I'm going to share five aspects. You know, I've been away two weeks, so I thought maybe I'd share 50 aspects. But we'll trip down to five. Five aspects of divine love that we see from this passage. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. We're going to see the Father loves the Son. It seems very basic. 
It seems like a, a fact that we go, of course. But let's look at it vividly. The Father loves the Son. If you look back at, with me at verse 9, Jesus starts off by saying, as the Father has loved me. So the question is, how does the Father love Christ? He's saying, as he has loved me. What does that look like? What is that? How has he loved him? And through the Gospel of John, we've seen several ways. Back in John chapter 3, we've seen that the Father demonstrates his love to the Son by giving him all things. The Father demonstrates his love to the Son by giving him all things. John chapter 3, verse 35, we see the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. It's a demonstration of love. We also know from our study through the Gospel of John, the Father loves the Son by showing him all things. In John chapter 5, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. He gives him all things. He shows him all things. And also, he loves him with an everlasting love. Remember I talked about those songs? Many of those songs are about heartache. They're about what someone thought was a true love and found out it was a true heartache. And for many of us, we've known and understood that. But Jesus says the Father loves him with an everlasting love. This is actually forward in the Gospel of John. We're willing to get there someday. John chapter 17. We read in verses 23 through 26. Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, I in them and you in me as he prays to the Father. He says that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, or these that you have sent, excuse me, oh, righteous Father, verse 25, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. An everlasting love. A love that doesn't end. This is the love. When we talk about looking for love in all the wrong places, this is the right place. This is the one who gives love without measure and without end. The Father loves the Son. Now, this is important imagery as we build upon this metaphor of Jesus being the true vine. Remember, the Father is the vine dresser. So, again, I'm no green thumb. I, I can't take care of a dead plant or a fake plant. It doesn't work. But my understanding for the trees in my backyard is I'm supposed to put feed in there and give them nutrients. I'll see some of you nodding your head. Not my poor plants. They don't get any of it. But the vine dresser is God in this metaphor. He pours out love on the sun. That vine now has that love. Guess where that love's going? Through that vine and out through those branches. Keep that in mind as we go through here. So first, the Father loves the Son. He gives him all things, shows him all things, and loves the Son with an everlasting love. But here's the second thing. The Son loves you. If you're a believer here this morning in Jesus Christ, the Son loves you. The Son loves you. You see in John chapter 15, that same verse, verse 9, Jesus started by saying, as the Father has loved me, he says, so have I loved you. So have I loved you. Now, how is love demonstrated? 
Is it just words? Oh, come on. Many of you here are married. You better know this answer if you're married in here. Or if you've ever been in a relationship, you better know it's more than words. Right. It better be demonstrated and not just heard. So Jesus demonstrated his love for you, the believer, in a very sacrificial way. In a very sacrificial way. In verse 13 of John chapter 15, Jesus puts it this way. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Think that's a verb? Think that's action? Yeah. Completely love in action. Laying down one's life for another. We studied previously in John chapter 10, Jesus had said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Laying down his life, a demonstration of love. So when we question, does God really love me? What is the demonstration of love? I think it's up on our wall somewhere. It's that hiding back there. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A demonstration of love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, we read this, And walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Gave himself up, willfully, joyfully, as evidence of love. The same theme of the sacrifice of one giving up their lives. Paul the Apostle builds on that. In Romans chapter 5, he says this, Starting verse 7, he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life has brought into, into your world. But to sit and meditate that Jesus loves you. You know, some of you that were raised in the church, you might remember that old song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Well, you know what? What does it tell me? It tells me he died for me. The demonstration of love that he died in my place. That he would take the full penalty of the wrath that was rightly due to me. He would place it for himself. Now, that is love. And Paul the Apostle would respond this way. Chris, this is for you. Galatians 2.20. Oh, there you go. I have been crucified, he would say. I have been crucified. What does that mean? I'm with Christ. And as he died, so I died too. I've been crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? And did what? You're not going to hear a Sunday in here with me standing up here without you hearing that glorious news of him loving. Because Christ came on a mission to save that which was lost, and guess what? That was me. And I sure hope you could say that was you. That you, like the Apostle Paul, would say, I'm a chief of sinners. But the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, that would send Christ in obedience out of love to the cross. That Christ in his demonstration of love to you would go up on that cross and die a gruesome, bloody death in your place. That's love. That's love. 
So what do we do in response to that kind of love? One, I surely hope you meditate on it. Don't forget that you are loved. Don't ever forget that you are loved. Because this life and this world will bring you tough times. And there are times you will question even the love of God. If God is loving, then how could this happen, you might ask. But you need to be reminded about the love of God. Third point this morning. Third thing is, you are commanded to abide in his love. So Jesus said, look, the Father loves me. He says, I love you. Then he says, Abide in my love. And by the way, it's not a suggestion. He's not saying, maybe you choose to do this. He says, since I love you, remain in my love. We said in verse 9, the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Going back to the metaphor, the vine being Jesus, the branches being you, and as the Father pours that love onto the vine, the vine's coming up, it's going straight after you. So whose love is it? You ever feel at times, I just don't have any more love right now. You ever feel that way? Like, I, I got nothing to muster up right now. Nothing's coming out. I'm at the end of giving out any love. Well, guess what? That's a good thing because you don't want that love to give out anyway. That was the love that your flesh was trying to conjure up. That was the, the selfish love, hoping I get something in return. But instead, as the vine dresser pours that love into that vine, it comes out into the branches, it's his love. And in this passage, passage this morning, Jesus is going to say, oh, by the way, if you need anything, just ask. Ask the Father, he'll give it to you. Just say, ask him. Romans 5.5 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, don't raise your hand, but have you ever prayed, God, I just don't have love for that person. Don't nod, don't be guilty or anything. Don't be guilty of thought, but just don't raise your hand. I, I just not feeling it. God's love has been poured into you. So guess what? You do have God's love. But your own look, we all battle with this flesh. And what you're saying is, I don't want to love them. I don't like them. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they say. And I don't want to. So we make an excuse and say, oh, I just have no more love left. God's giving you his love. Just as he poured down that vine, that vine comes out into those branches. The love is there. In verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, question. See who's paying attention. I know it's hot. Some of you are passing away. How did Jesus love us? Was it conditionally? Unconditionally and sacrificially. Unconditionally. And sacrificially. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, in context, the one another starts with right here. Now, even though we love the unity that's in our church, we love the like-mindedness in our church, there might be somebody in this church you think, they're just a bit different. Do you know what that means if you say they're a bit different? It means you're a bit different, too. And yet, it's the flow of love of Christ would come out. Verse 17, Jesus says these things I command you so that you will love one another. It is not an option. It is a command to love one another. 
And some of you are going, didn't he already say this? This is the second time he's commanded this. Back in, in uh, chapter 13, remember he had washed the disciples' feet? None of them got up to help each other. Jesus comes up and takes on the lowliest job and washes their feet. And then he says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another sacrificially and unconditionally. Let me ask you, is it hard to love those who love you? That's pretty easy, right? I mean, if you're in any kind of relationship, if that person's kind to you, oh man, it's easy to be kind back. But in that same relationship, if that person's unloving towards you, our flesh naturally responds to what they love us. Jesus is teaching something completely different. Instead, he's saying, just like I am not deserving of his love, just like you are not deserving of his love, neither are they. But as he has graciously, unconditionally, sacrificially poured out his love on you, so you are to let that love flow on to others. We've been through John chapter 14 where Jesus said this in verse 15. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. It's going to be evidence. The motivation, the motive behind it is that I love Jesus. And because of that, I will feel allow his love to flow through me to others. That's the driving force. Paul the Apostle would say this in Romans chapter 13, starting verse 8. He says, owe no one anything. Well, there we can do an economics course. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So think about all that God has commanded. Think about all the things in this book. It's been summed up. And what is it? And it's not the mustard that you can conjure up. The must the love you sit there and like, oh, just I need to, I need to, I need to. It's Father help me to love what you love. Father humble me to love what you love. You know what often gets in the time of loving somebody is pride. Oh, not this time. I'm not going to do it again. Instead, it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. Jesus gave an example of what it looks like to abide. In John chapter 15, verse 10, the latter half of it, Jesus says, Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus, the Son of God, says, I have kept the Father's commandments. He says, I have kept his and I abide in his love. Remember the vine dresser pouring out the love? He says, I'm abiding in him. Obedience is a demonstration of love. You know that word obedience, we don't like that very much, to obey. And yet the Bible says that Jesus obeyed. And I want you to think about the life of Christ. Was it simple? Was it a life that was like kick back, relax, enjoy the sunset? Not at all. It was a life of suffering. He was known as a suffering servant. And yet, does that mean the Father didn't love him? No, the Father absolutely. You need to keep that in mind because one of the greatest attacks on the fact that God loves you and desires for you to abide in his love is the thought that, well, if God loved me, I wouldn't be suffering. 
And the enemy of our souls will use that so quick in our lives that, oh, you think God loves you? Look at your life. Look at the things you're going through. Look at the suffering that's occurring in your life. God doesn't love you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But it's often so effective in our lives. But then we begin to question it. We begin to doubt. So Jesus Christ sets the example. Look to Christ. He was loved by the Father, yet... He lived a life of suffering. He lived a life of suffering. Philippians 2 8 say about Christ says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sacrificial and unconditional. Romans 5.19 says, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Anybody heard that was? See who's in there. Who's disobedience? Adam. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Who's obedience? Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus keeps the Father's commandments. And now he says, abide in my love. Stay with me on this as I pour love onto you. See, as like a conduit. Father pours on him, he comes straight to you. And the focus is, this is his. Now, as we talk about obedience, some people get the math all wrong. And they get the math when it comes to obedience wrong. Look, you don't obey Christ to earn his love. You obey Christ because you are loved. Understand the difference. When you're obedient, he doesn't love you more. And when you're disobedient, he doesn't love you less. Church, did you hear what I just said? Because our obedience is abiding in his love, and it's because he loves us. Because of desire, he's given me a new heart, new desires. But guess what? There are times that your pastor stands in front of you and becomes selfish. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm with you. Disqualification. But so do you. And there's times that you have thoughts that are contrary to Christ. And there are times that you say words that are contrary to Christ. And there are times that you do things that are contrary to Christ. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not loved less during that time. And the times that you submit to his will and you do it, you're not loved more. You're loved because you're in Christ. Because you're his. You understand that? If you are parenting here, I have three children. They don't always do what I ask them to do. But when they don't do what I ask them, I don't love them less. And that's a human love. We're talking about a God who is love. And when they obey, I don't love them more. I really like it more. But I don't love them more. Now they sit in the back debating whether or not this is true. <laughs> but again, don't get the math wrong. You, you don't earn God's love by obeying. You obey because he loves you. Fourth thing we find from this passage this morning is your joy is found in Christ's love. Your joy is found in Christ's love. How many of us are continuing on a pursuit for joy? Many of us. If I can only be satisfied. By the way, this word joy means great happiness. Great happiness. Who wouldn't want that? And we seek it in all different types of ways. Maybe a new hobby. Maybe a new toy. Maybe a new relationship, a new friend, whatever. We're looking for this joy. And guess what? 
It's found in Christ's love. Verse, uh, John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Meaning, it'll be complete. It'll be filled up. Done. Nothing else will take its place. Nothing else needs to be added to it. It will be full in Christ. And yet, oh, all the places we will go. I think I've got your shoes. Um, was it? Oh, dear. To find love. You know that word. Um, but we try to go all different places. And we seek after happiness. And doesn't happiness seem like it's seasonal? There are times of joy, and there's times of sadness. A season for everything. And yet Jesus says, look, my joy in you will bring complete satisfaction. You'll be completely full. So he says, these things I have said to you. What things is he talking about? He says, in the same way the Father loves the Son, he says, so I love you. I love you. What does that mean? How often do we think about the fact that Jesus does love and sometimes we think that's so elementary in our faith that we need to move on to bigger and better things in our faith. And we need to go deeper in theology and everything else. How about the simple truth that Jesus loves you and that you are his? And how about the times when the enemy starts to stir up in your mind, woe is you, look what you're going through. That you would simply look to the cross and say, look what my Lord went through. Look what my Lord went Jesus paid it all. Jesus says here that your joy may be found in his love. That no matter what you're going through today, no matter what's going on in your life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, might you right now just sit and rest in the fact that Jesus loves you? He died for you. And that your satisfaction, your joy, could be in him. That no matter what else falls apart in this world, nothing compares to the fact that Lastly, this morning, fifth aspect of this is you were chosen to enjoy and to share God's love. You were chosen. Verse 16 in our passage this morning, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Are you a Christian this morning? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Christ to receive him as Lord and Savior? To submit your life to him? The Bible says, guess what? You've been chosen. You were chosen, hand-chosen. That means you were called. It means you were selected. It means you were named. That's amazing. That's amazing. What a privilege. What an honor. What grace. I told you before, when I look in the mirror, you know what I see? I see Robert still. My identity is in Christ, but I still see Robert. And I still know who Robert was and who Robert is. And I praise God that Robert has a new identity in Christ. I don't have to look back at all that former Robert. If you are a Christian, your identity is now in Christ. He has chosen you for himself. He has adopted you into his family. You have a heavenly 
you a gracious Savior. Now you're to enjoy that. To enjoy God's love. To enjoy God's grace. To enjoy God's splendor. Not only now, but for all eternity. You were hand selected. Chosen by God to enjoy God. And I would tell you this, one of the biggest failures of many Christians is they don't enjoy God. Some get caught up with, what else must I do? What else can I do? How do I spend more time doing something else? How about slowing down and enjoying God? How about being satisfied and content in Him alone? What happens when there's a different season of life when you can't do what you used to do? When your body won't allow you to continue doing what you do? Guess what? Enjoy God. Be satisfied in Him. You're to enjoy God. The greatest gift, the greatest treasure. But the same verse says that you were also appointed. You were appointed. Meaning you were designated. Means you were assigned. You were given a task. And that task is to share God's love with others. That vine dresser pours love out on the vine. That vine comes out into the branches. And the branches now extend that love others. You have been chosen for that. So let's think about Mission Impossible. It's not Mission Impossible. No one's jumping out of the plane. It is God's love running through you to extend to others. To demonstrate His love, His wondrous works to others. But if we truly believe the gospel, do you think we'd be shouting from the rooftops? If we really believe that what we believe is really real? Try that one a few times, yes. And I think we would be shouting Because it is the greatest news ever that wretched sinners like us can be reconciled to a holy God, forgiven, and given righteousness and the opportunity to enjoy God now and forever. But many of us listen to the lies that you're just inadequate. Who are you to share God's love with somebody else? Who are you to tell other people about Jesus? And you know who you are? You're his beloved. You're his hand-chosen people. And not only that, but again, Jesus says here, look, you feel inadequate? Ask the Father. Ask him in my name, and I'll give you all things. Now, he's not talking about the Maserati and everything else. He's talking about things that will help you extend the love of God. Things that will help you be what God has appointed you to be. Ask the Father. Are you at work? Are you at a family member's house? Are you at school? And you're like, man, God, I don't feel I have to show the gospel today. How about Father God? Father, open my eyes to whom it is today. Father, even open the door. Have them say something that would give me a way in. We ask. Jesus says, ask. And what a joy it is to be used as a vessel. Hopefully many of you have experienced that, that you've been able to share the glorious news of Christ with somebody. And when God draws that person, and you see that person being drawn by the Spirit, it's like, it's amazing. There's nothing else like it. There's great joy in seeing that. You know, the, the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Catechism, which, by the way, are doctrines of the faith that we go through, the four doctrines of the faith, come straight from us. Number one, here's the question. What is the chief and highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end of man? The answer? Man's chief and highest end is to? Glorify 
Glorify God and how long? So glorify God. How do we do that? Well, as the love gets born in the vine, the vine comes out to us, we're just abiding, remaining in his love, extending that to others. It's nothing of me, it's nothing of you, it's all of him. He starts the work and he finishes the work. We just abide in it. It's just not getting in the way. It's allowing him to work through us. Jonathan Edwards once said this. He said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Say that again. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Church, you need to be better at that to enjoy God. So busy. What else can I do to try to earn his love? We don't earn it. We have it. He's given it to us. It's now to enjoy it. It's his divine love. There's nothing like it. You are loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about it. Who are we that he would be mindful of us? Who are we that he would be mindful of us? Well, guess what? We're his chosen people. We are his beloved. If you're here this morning and you have never repented to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to receive the love that was spoken of, I beg you, I plead with you this morning, turn to Christ. Receive him. Love divine. The greatest treasure. Pray with me, church. Father, we come before you this morning and as we speak of love so divine, so glorious, God, we can look in the mirror and see that we are a people not deserving of this love. We are wretched sinners. But you are a glorious God. You are a compassionate God. You are a loving God. Father, I pray for those here this morning who are believers in Christ that we would slow down and enjoy that we would be satisfied in him. That we would be reminded continually that we are loved by the Most High. Father, for anyone in this place who does not know Christ, I pray your spirit would draw them to yourself now. That they might enjoy you and glorify you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name.